listeners, and welcome to the latest episode of Extra Extra. What's it all about, Joshua? It's all about whiskey, my man. As I just alluded to there, I am Jason Johnson Yellen, your whiskey wizard, and I am joined by Joshua Hatton, your whiskey cherub. How are you doing, Joshua? Uh, let's not get into that. Um, <laughs> I'm fine. Understood. I'm Moving fine. on. <laughs> <laughs> Um, if you're a new listener, and, and welcome to season two, this is our third episode of season two, but if you're a new listener of the podcast, every couple of weeks, Joshua or I, whoever's turn it is, will bring a whiskey-related news story to the attention of the other. We spend the first half of the episode reading it, one to the other, mm-hmm. and then the second half of the episode riffing on it, having a back and forth, having one of our usual industry chats about mm-hmm. a topic. Mm-hmm. And we try to get this episode turned around in a tight 30, sometimes a tight 35, sometimes a tight 37 and a half. But really, we try to keep it to 30 minutes, 35 minutes. Get in, get it said, and get out. And you, Joshua, Mm -hmm. have the honour of being the chap bringing the news story to our attention. What have you got? Well, I've decided to to change things up in the bedroom, as the kids say. I hope the kids don't say that. But I, Oof, gosh, that took a turn. Paging HR. <laughs> <laughs> well, like you'd said, normally we we find an article, we bring it to the attention of the other, we read the article, then we riff on it. However, I've got two stories in front of me that tell two very different stories, but I think can potentially allude to a much bigger story that I want to keep an eye on over the next year, two years, even three years or more. Now, I could be wrong here, but but hear me out. Let, let me read these two articles, okay, and then I will propose what I think this all means. Okay. Good? Okay. Sounds like a very Joshua-heavy episode, but I'm okay with that. You're welcome. Uh, I, I think our, our listeners are relieved. Anyway, uh, both of these episodes... <laughs> Can I go put a laundry on? Carry on? <laughs> both of these uh, articles have shown up on the Spirits business, which for, for any of our listeners, it's a, it's a great little website to go to, thespiritsbusiness.com. Indeed. And the first article was released on 12th of February, uh, written by Owen Bellwood. And the title simply states... Scotch whiskey exports plummet 1.1 billion pounds in 2020. That's article number one. Just very quickly, you're not going to make a Blues Brothers reference on that name? Uh, we got to bring the band back together? I, I, I don't know. Uh, we play Bellwood? both kinds, country and western. Bellwood. Yeah, I'm not really uh, Blues Brothers. I saw it years ago and I don't remember much of it. Calm down. Paging 3M, paging 3M. <laughs> the movie's like three hours long. Anyway, anyway, get back to your so, articles. So, so this is Article 1. That's, that was the headline of Article 1. Mm-hmm. The headline of Article 2 reads, Japanese whiskey faces stricter labeling rules. Interestingly, these don't sound like they've got anything in common with one another. They, they don't, but, but hear me out. And, and you and our listeners will get an understanding of how my brain... <laughs> works or doesn't work. Uh, so the, the subheader on the first one, which discusses the, the, the plummeting of the Scotch whiskey exports, plummeting uh, again by 1.1 billion pounds in 2020, mm-hmm. the subheader says, 
the value of Scotch whiskey imports fell by 1.1 billion pounds or 1.5 billion U.S. in 2020 to its lowest level in a decade as a result of the pandemic and U.S. imposed tariffs, according to the Scotch Whiskey Association. Okay, let's dig into this a bit further. Okay. In 2020, exports of Scotch whiskey fell by 23% by value to 3.8 billion, and that's in pounds, or 5.3 billion U.S. The number Mm -hmm. of 700 milliliter bottles exported dropped by 13% to the equivalent of 1.14 billion. So this is a good thing to think about, right? This this article doesn't specify tariffs. It's talking about tariffs and how COVID has uh, affected things. And not even... It's a left-right punch. It's a left-right punch. Let's not forget the third punch, which is Brexit, which will be all telling uh, after 2021 is said and done. But anyway. Anyway. Only so much bad news we can take at any one moment, Joshua. (laughs) According to the Scotch Whiskey Association, SWA, the export figures are the lowest they've been in a decade due to the impact of COVID-19 and the 25% tariffs placed on Scotch Whiskey by the U.S. The U.S. is Scotch Whiskey's most valuable market and was worth more than 1 billion pounds or 1.4 billion U.S. in 2019. However, in 2020, exports of Scotch whiskey to the country fell by 32% to 729 million pounds or $1 billion, which accounted for around one-third of total global export losses. Massive. It continues. Absolutely huge. It continues. Since the 25% tariff was imposed in October 2019, Scotch whiskey exports to the U.S. have fallen 35% or 542 million pounds, again, or $750 million. Like losing a third. That's... It's yeah. like an asteroid falling out of the sky. Yes. I lost a third. Good grief. Karen Betts, chief executive of the SWA, said, quote, These figures are a grim reminder of the challenges faced by distillers over the past year. As exports stalled in the face of the coronavirus pandemic and U.S. tariffs. In effect, the industry, and listen to this sentence, Jason, in effect, the industry lost 10 years of growth in 2020 and is going to take some time to build back to a position of strength. How long has our company been around, Jason? 10 years. 10 years. And in the span of (laughs) one year, right? Think about that. (laughs) Gosh, this really is a lot to take on. (laughs) You're welcome. It goes on, or uh, uh, Miss Betts' quote continues. In these challenging times, what's so disappointing is the damage being caused by U.S. tariffs. The U.S. has been, for decades, our strongest and most valuable market, but Scotch whiskey is now losing considerable ground there. She continues, These tariffs were avoidable had the U.K., E.U., and U.S. governments and the European and American aerospace industries 
been less intransigent. That governments and companies have allowed their dispute to continue while the livelihoods of real people and the future of one of Scotland's oldest industries are put at stake reflects badly on them. Yeah. That ends our quote. Just very, very quickly to pivot back to it, they are talking about the US as the most valuable market. You're Mm -hmm. then talking, you know, dollar dollars value imports. You're not necessarily talking volume, but it kind of gives you a sense of what is well received in the US market Mm -hmm. and what is purchased in the US market. It's not bottom shelf blends, Mm -hmm. right? It's single malts and and good single malts and by that I meaning you know $50 $60 single yeah. malts yeah. that are very different market from your blends obviously there's still blends coming in here but it goes to show the dollar value sits a little higher in America than it does in other markets just a point worth making yeah and as you mentioned blends it's good to remember that overall globally blends have gone from around 95% of of overall scotch whiskey sales to between 88 and 90%. The story continues. Exports to the 27 member states in the European Union, the industry's largest regional export market, also fell by 15% as a result of the closure of the hospitality and travel restrictions impacting airport retail. There you go. Yep. Air, yep. Airport retail, hospitality, tariffs, like it's, gosh. Okay, yep, chin okay. up, chin up, little engine, keep going. So the, the second half of this article has its own subheader that says, in quotes, reassure distillers. And so the story continues and says, as a result of the detrimental impact tariffs and the COVID-19 pandemic are having on the Scotch whiskey sector, the SWA has repeated its calls for greater support for distillers. Betts added, quote, The Scotch whiskey industry has now paid over a half billion pounds in tariffs. And I want to pause here really quickly because you and I know the people who are really paying these tariffs are the U.S. importers of, of Scotch whiskey. And then those tariffs are passed on to the consumer. Now, in some cases, you've got importers that are working with, you know, with suppliers yes. to try yes. to mitigate some of, you know, some of these tariffs, to try to, you know, see that less falls on to the consumer. But really, when she when she's talking about the Scotch whiskey industry having paid a half million pounds in tariffs, it's the U.S. side of the Scotch whiskey industry that's been bearing the brunt of these of these payments. Now, Scotch whiskey producers have lost money, and that's its own thing. So yep. you have us paying a shit ton, and the distilleries losing a shit ton. Well, do you remember the number that was on the settlement? Was it $7 billion? About was it $7 billion, yeah. Was it about that? And so look at that. Even with... 18 months of painful tariffs, we've got a half billion pounds covered on that. Mm-hmm. Like, we're that's you know, 
<laughs> yep. We're not even close. Yep, we're not, it's like we're a not. kid putting pennies into their piggy bank. Yeah. It's like, well done. You've managed to layer the belly with pennies. Now keep filling the entire piggy bank. Uh, and like you've said many times, these tariffs are a form of cruel and unusual punishment to an industry that has nothing to do with what the real issue was, that dispute between Airbus and, and Boeing. But let's save our comments for later. I need to finish these stories. So I'm going to go back. Again, Betts added, quote, the Scotch whiskey industry has now paid over a half billion pounds in tariffs, which are a form of tax on behalf of the UK government because of the subsidies that the government granted to the aerospace sector in breach of World Trade Organization rules. She continues, mm -hmm. so we are calling on the chancellor to support Scotch whiskey distillers by reducing our tax bill in the UK. Rishi Sunak, can you explain to people who Rishi Sunak is? Yeah, of course. That's the Chancellor of the Exchequer in the UK government. And they will do a they will present their budget mm -hmm. in March. The ah. Chancellor always presents a budget in March okay. to the Houses of Parliament back when they used to meet at the Houses of Parliament yeah. uh, in Westminster. Okay. It's a very different world, yes. So Rishi Sunak can, and by the way, this is still a quote by, by Miss Betts, uh, Rishi Sunak can do that by cutting spirits duty in next month's budget. There you go. There's March, right? Mm -hmm. That will help to mitigate the damage being done to Scotch whiskey and help to reassure distillers that the UK government wants to support Scotch whiskey in riding out the current storm and returning to growth when possible. Okay. That's story number one. Let's keep this keep this story in mind, okay? A third of overall exports gone by the stroke of 2020. Boom. That's gone because of because of the US tariffs, because of COVID and how COVID has affected both the hospitality industry worldwide and the retail travel industry again worldwide. So keep that in mind. Now the next article, again the headline is Japanese whiskey faces stricter labeling rules. Now this article came out today, uh, which is February 16, uh, and was written by Melita Kiley. And the sub okay. the subheader says the Japanese Spirits and Liquors Makers Association has issued new guidelines on the production and labeling of Japanese whiskey to offer greater transparency across the category. This is something we've been hearing about, mm -hmm. rumors around, whisperings about, and so I'm glad we can fold it into this episode and mm -hmm. bless you for making a connection to your first article with this. You're welcome. The new standards for labeling Japanese whiskey aim to, quote, protect the interests of consumers, ensure fair competition among businesses, and improve quality, end quote, the Japanese Spirits and Liquor Makers Association said. The new production standards stipulate that malt must always be used in the making of Japanese whiskey, but other grains can also be used. Water used in Japanese whiskey making must come from Japan. Hopefully, 
I'm pronouncing this word right that opens up the next sentence, but saccharification, which is the conversion of starch into sugars during the matching process. Makes sense. Fermentation and distillation should be done at a distillery in Japan. Distillation must be to no more than 95% ABV. Maturation should take place in wooden barrels, doesn't specify oak, just says wooden barrels, with a maximum capacity of 700 liters. Japanese whiskey must be matured in Japan for at least three years. Bottling must take place in Japan at a minimum strength of 40% ABV. Caramel coloring can be used. To be labeled, quote, Japanese whiskey, all of the above terms and conditions must be met. Furthermore, a product's name, labeling, and marketing should not imply that it is Japanese whiskey. This includes the use of place names such as cities, arenas, scenic spots, mountains, rivers, national flag, and more. Members of the Japanese Spirits and Liquors Makers Association will begin working to the new standards from 1st of April, 2021. Producers have until the 31st of March, 2024 to adhere to the new regulations. Okay. Yeah, I I thought that first date sounded pretty soon, but okay. They've got a a longer runway to fit into that. Okay. And then uh, the the final sentence, or as you like to say, the final salvo says... Oh, gosh. The spirits business has previously reported on Japanese whiskey's practice of blending imported liquid from other parts of the world, which has raised... And then they put a link to these these next six words. Questions about brands' claims of authenticity. Period. Whoa. Okay. That's the end of, gosh, questions afoot. Let's take a quick break and we'll come back for the second half chat. Question to you, Jason. Why do you think I put these two stories together? It's <laughs> <laughs> mm, like saying, so teacher, why do you think I think you assigned this homework? <laughs> other, <laughs> other than wanting to get more airtime, because that's, that's not the only reason why I put these two stories together. Well, I, I, before I answer that question, I have a question for you which is that stipulation about malt. Malt must be a part of Japanese whiskey, Mm -hmm. although other grains are allowed. Mm -hmm. Is there some percentage of malt? And I assume it's malted barley, not malt whiskey, that's going in here as a raw ingredient. It doesn't. At least the article doesn't specify, right? I think I think it's I think it's purposefully being a bit squishy there. It, it doesn't specify, and to be honest, I haven't found any other articles 
that went into deeper detail beyond what's being shown here. Even Becky Paskin on Instagram, and, and that's where I first found out about it, had posted basically what I read here. Mm. So if, if someone like Be Becky Paskin doesn't have information beyond this, then my guess is if more information is to be made available, you know, we'll see that in the coming months and so on. Yeah. I'm just thinking about our friends at Fukano and Oishi, who I've been thoroughly enjoying. Oishi Mizunara Oak. I know this is extra, extra. I don't tend to buy into the hype surrounding Mizunara Oak. I, I tend to avoid it or find myself underwhelmed by it. Mm -hmm. The Oishi Mizunara Oak finish is fantastic. Uh, absolutely fantastic. But, but these rules still do not, they, I don't think, personally, I could be wrong here, but I don't think they have anything to do with Fukano or Oishi or any other brand of rice-based distillate that is labeled as whiskey in the U.S. Because even before this, rice-based distillates within Japan could not be called whiskey within Japan and could not be called whiskey within the U.K., and that goes back to and listeners may remember previous episodes with, with Chris Udy, where we talked about this trade dispute between Margaret Thatcher's parliament and, and Japan. Anyway. Indeed, indeed. The reason why Oishi Fukano, and there are other brands, Kokori and a few others, the reason why those brands can come into the U.S. and be labeled as whiskey is because as, as far as U.S. rules go... When it comes to whiskey, it's very simple. It's a spirit from a grain above 40% alcohol, you know? So, yep. so that may not be an issue. Cool. Again, cool. We, we, we will see. I sure as heck hope. <laughs> I almost said fuck, but I decided to say heck. I sure as heck Good hope uh, that, that it won't be an issue because like you, it, it's you know, the spirits are absolutely beautiful and it, it tastes of whiskey and it's different. And like Chris had said before, or Chris Udy had said before, you know, it's not taking away from other categories. It's it's expanding the pie. It's adding new flavors to the to the overall whiskey flavor palette. So yeah. anyway. Yeah. Cool. No, good. Uh, you actually, you even answered my follow-up in the answer to my first question. So good job. Mm -hmm. So so to, to pivot back to your question, which is why do I think you've brought these two together? <sighs> Aside from this being one more place where scotch might not be able to be sent, although I think you'll see new labels and new product styles sure. coming out of it. I, I don't think it's a dead end. Um, aside from that... I'm curious why you did bring them together. Well, Scotch whiskey distilleries, again, using our favorite term, writ large, continue to produce spirit, most of them at capacity. Sure, some have pulled back. There's been talk of Kalila pulling back and some other mm -hmm. distilleries mm -hmm. pulling back a little bit here and there. But generally speaking, they're, they're producing to capacity. If you have distilleries producing to capacity, but their route to market has been cut by 33% just in Scotch whiskey exports, 
and the route to market from distilleries producing spirit that would then go to Japan to go into some sort of a pure malt blend, we're going to see mm-hmm. that either it, it'll go away, my guess, in some capacity. My hope is that they'll figure out some creative ways of creating new Japanese whiskey labels that allow for them to continue to do this because regardless of where the whiskey comes from, Japanese pure malts are lovely whiskeys, just like Compass Box makes lovely blends. Correct. These Japanese pure malts are lovely blends instead of Compass Box using Scotch whiskey as the various tools. Japanese producers had the freedom to use whiskeys from all over the world to make blends. So I don't want them to go away, but... I do see that closing off a bit. And so if if Scotland's exports of spirit to Japan start to dwindle, and just in the past years, the Scotch whiskey industry lost a third of its overall exports, that's a lot of available whiskey. It seems almost as if these two stories and the fact that we haven't even taken Brexit into account, though you and I know shipping single-cast nation into European Union countries is really difficult right now. <laughs> paging uh, Jess Lomas, paging <laughs> Jess Lomas. All of this says to me this is a potential modern whiskey lock growing. So we have a few factors in play here where... If you're any type of producer in Scotland, you're always looking 10 years into the future. And could you imagine 10 years ago trying to predict US tariffs, a global pandemic, and a Brexit, a separation from Europe on the horizon? Like (laughs) Those are, each one of those is a once- in a lifetime event Mm -hmm. and all three of them are happening now in 2021 although only two of them were happening last year in 2020 and so yeah there there is there's going to be a lot of 10 year old whiskey that hasn't had a place to go and you're you're able to say as a producer okay let's slow down production let's let's turn down the taps a little bit here Mm -hmm. But you don't see that right away. Mm-mm. You see that 10 years after you start to turn down the taps. And so I don't know if it's going to be a loch that becomes quite as serious as we saw the 60s, the 80s, you know, d- distinct problems there. For five years, producers have known that Brexit has been on the horizon. Mm-hmm. So I, I could see them working carefully around that. Mm-hmm. And for a couple of years, we've been hearing about clarifying the use of language around Japanese whiskey mm-hmm. and and being clear on labels. And so if, if you're a producer, and they're, they're all smart producers these days, they did see some aspects, they would have seen some aspects on the horizon. But going back 10 years ago, were you seeing any of that? No. 
but I, I really, I think that the problem is much bigger than we're thinking about, or at least that I was thinking about. And, and as you were talking, it's not that I wasn't listening to you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, was the, it was that my brain was also working. Let's mm-hmm. think about this. Right, what did I say before about Scotch whiskey blends? Where it used to be 95% of the overall market, now we're looking at 88 to 90% of the overall market. What has COVID done to the hospitality market, to bars and restaurants, decimated. There's no there's no home for these blends to be going into. Now think about your 120, 130 Scotch whiskey distilleries, 140, whatever the number is, and you've got around 50% of them, if not a little more, whose sole job is to produce spirit to go into these blends that no longer have a home, that have been losing homes over the past 10 to 15 years. So, you know, to the average consumer, you know, they're, they're thinking about Johnny Walker and Chivas and Glenlivet and McAllen before us as the independent bottler, we're thinking of Milton Duff and <laughs> a thrusk, a thrusk, and and you, you know Daluane and in in all of these distilleries, and it it really has me nervous that 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 this can be a fairly large lock. Now my concern is. You know, if you, if you think back to the lock that was created in the 80s, we, we got the understanding that there was a downturn in overall sales leading up to the end of the 70s. It progressed, and then starting in around 83, distilleries started shuttering, 83 through 86, mm-hmm. they started shuttering, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm very concerned that we are going to start seeing a shuttering if these distilleries don't start slowing down taps sooner rather than later, though many of them are now public, you know, owned by publicly held companies, they have to answer to their uh, to their stockholders. They're gonna dance a dance, and I'm just afraid they some companies may get it wrong, and we're going to see a lot of jobs, more jobs being lost and. Well, and, and I wonder, there's a couple of factors in what you're describing there, is we've seen a recent slowdown in the markets where mm-hmm. blends were king. Make no mistake, blends remain king. Mm-hmm. But we, we've, we have been seeing a slowdown, as, as you just pointed out there. We've been seeing that slowdown happening. Mm-hmm. However, in 2020 it went off a cliff. Mm. And so I, I I wonder if you're a multinational conglomerate, if you're already looking down the road to when this comes back up again, right? And you're saying, okay, if we go through, and I'm, I really am just making up numbers here, if we go through a one-year slowdown, a two-year slowdown, a three-year slowdown, Hospitality will come back. Travel retail will come back. Mm -hmm. We haven't lost a demand 
from consumers. Correct. As much as as much as blends were seeing a slowdown, the demand from consumers hasn't fallen off a cliff. It's how we get products to those thirsty consumers that have currently taken mm. a hit with tariffs and a loss of travel retail and a loss of hospitality. And so if you watch the industry media, Diageo have put millions of pounds and dollars into supporting hospitality during this downturn. Very true. And other companies have done this as well. Uh, uh, Pernod Ricard, Mm -hmm. just one other that comes to mind right now, but other companies have done this Mm -hmm. because that's your route to consumer and you need to protect them during this downtime to return. So so that's why I wonder yeah. if you you start to see this this protection of production for one two three years mm. knowing that you're going to get a market that you're not rebuilding from scratch. Yeah. You're hoping to jump back on again at 50% capacity, 60, 70%. Again, I don't know the numbers there, but I wonder if that's what you look at as the rebound from an impossible 2020 and then what's going to be an incredibly difficult 2021 and perhaps 2022. That's a that's a really good point about demand. Where in, in previous downtimes for the for the whiskey industry, it was because there was a lack of demand. And, and also economic factors took into play but we live in in a modern internet world where everybody has FOMO, everybody's brand conscious. People want to reward themselves and they, they want to do it now. The demand hasn't gone away. So, so that, that gives me some hope because without the demand, just let's, again, and, and maybe we can end on this, but you know, maybe you have a, you know, a final comment you want to add in here. Without the demand, think about what happened in the 80s. Again, early 80s distilleries closed, and the industry continued to just move along sluggishly. And then in 1995, and I'll just use the example of Isle of Arran Distillery, that distillery opened at a time when people weren't really giving a shit about whiskey. 1995, whiskey was still not a thing. It wasn't until 2005 that whiskey started kicking off 2005, 2006, and you start seeing more and more distilleries ramping up production and so on. And so from, let's just say, 1981 to 2005, it took all that time to bring an industry back. And then between 2005 to 2019, the amount of growth that the industry has has seen and now it's it's you know we're back down into first gear, right? It, it's just like whew, stop. Yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting looking at these markers. And fall of nineteen ninety six was the beginning of my single malt journey, mm-hmm. and so I've kind of lived that life of yeah. oh, there's young people like me getting into this they don't they know as much as i do but 
gosh, we're passionate, we're reading books by Michael Jackson, and we're we're learning about this through that moment in around 05, 06, where producers start to say, Oh, there's there's a lot out there. Oh, there's oh gosh, this is this is global. Into 2010, when you and I started talking about launching an independent bottling company, when you actually had producers say, oh, we actually have to close off some of our routes to market here because we need to protect our brand. Uh And cask sales dipped. And the availability of casks in 2010 was a kind of a moment of, yeah, we're probably not going to do that anymore, or at least for the foreseeable Mm. You know, we still were able to build the company. And, and and the thing that I would like to get out of here on is as we're talking about a loss of export, as we're lo- talking about a, a, a lesser demand on blends, as we're talking about the demise of hospitality, our nation members are single malt, single cask, cask strength yes. lovers. Yes. That's their thing. We're not on every back bar in the country. Uh, we're not on every back bar around the world. Some of these Scottish brands are. Yeah. And yep. that is insane volume. And so, you know, Mark Watt always says it, you know, in, in times of boom, independent bottlers are a pain in the tuchus for these you know, bigger brands. In times of downturn, independent bottlers are their best friends. And I would say, big producers, call us. We'll take your calls. Uh, There's some casts that we would love to buy from you, help you with some of your shortfall. Indeed. Just just remember, though, that uh, we prefer pricing to be industry pricing and not pricing for... Uh, for quote-unquote investor pricing. Oh, geez, imagine what this is doing to the investor market. If if the market's being flooded with whiskey that can't sell, oof, these poor investors. Hey, that's, that's a good point that you raised right at the end. Let's get out of here on that point. If you would like to drop us an email, please send us a note, a missive, if you will, to questions at onenationunderwhiskey.com. No E in whiskey. You can also search out the Extra Extra Facebook page. Mm-hmm. Honestly, that has nothing to do with me. I haven't even looked at it, and I do apologize, Joshua. Mm. You are the man behind that Facebook page. And so please, listeners, go and support Joshua. He works hard at this. I'm certainly not supporting him. But you, please, go support him. I That would be a personal favor to me. Whiskey Cherub, thank you. Well, Whiskey Wizard, I thank you. And dear listener, thank you as always. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with the next Extra Extra. And one week from now, look for the launch of Season 5 of One Nation Under Whiskey. We have an extra special guest who we've been chasing for a little while. But with the interest of time, we better call this meeting to a close. We'll catch you on the flip. Cheers. Cheers. (laughs) 